For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pursuit of Truth podcast. My name is Will. I'm your host. Today's date is June 20th, 2021. It's Father's Day, and I just read from you. That was Genesis 18, verse 19. And we're going to be talking about fathers and fatherhood and things like that today because we know that uh, i'm actually recording this on may 22nd it's about 11 o'clock in the morning here and uh i wanted to record this early because i know that during uh during father's day season the media is really going to um try to disparage fathers and the importance of fatherhood now, I know that not everyone has a great father. You know, not 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 everyone has a great mother. Personally, I was blessed by God to grow up in a household with my three sisters and I had a phenomenal mother and a phenomenal father. Now, my father um is my role model. My father is my role model. I see the things that my father did growing up and I see the things that he does now and I'm just amazed by all the things that he knows. I really, really look up to him. He's my uh my my pretty much my mentor. He's he's his integrity and his uh his, his the way he takes responsibility for everything. You know, he doesn't blame anybody else for anything like he 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 takes life head on, he grabs life by the horns and he really taught me how to be a man and how to never give up and to just when you're wrong one of the greatest things he ever taught me besides integrity because he he he's big on integrity because he is a man of great integrity one of the biggest things he taught me was when you're wrong it takes a real man to look somebody in the eye and tell them that you were wrong okay that and it really takes perseverance to not give up. Those are some of the greatest things he ever taught me, along with him teaching me about God and teaching me the way and things like that. And how um, a man, the, the, just the responsibilities that a man has, because a man's responsibility for his family is, I got this from a gentleman by the name of Kevin Samuels. He talks about three P's. It's he's the protector, the provider, and the priest. Priest really meaning priest really meaning that uh, he's the the spiritual head of his household. And growing up, I remember my father coming back from work, coming home from work every day, and I would you know go and hug him and things like that, being a little kid and everything like that. And I trusted him, and he was so he provided, and I trusted him with my safety. And he was really my, he, he was a protector. And, um, and he, he, he was a spiritual and still is the spiritual leader of our family. And whenever it comes to matters like this, we look to him first. I remember um, a, a lady I, I knew, uh, her name was Nedja Wilmore. She was a great person. And I remember us being at church and things like that. And she would always want want one of the, some of the men to pray out after we got done with our um, 
service or our, 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 uh, our lesson because she told me, she said, one day as a man, you're going to be the head of somebody's household. And that made sense. That doesn't, that didn't make sense to me until a couple years ago. I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, I was like t- nine or 10 or 12 years old. I was probably a young teenager, probably 13 or 14 years old, maybe just going into high school, things like that. So there's that. So what I want to do today is that I want to bring up some statistics on fatherhood and things like that and just talk about the importance of fatherhood because the media is so against fatherhood because father, a father in your life, that's the authority. You know, I remember I was in high school, I was in the ninth grade. And I was at PE. I was talking to my PE teacher. His name is Mr. Green. And so it was something going on between Mr. me and Mr. Green. We didn't we didn't have any bad blood there. But uh, it, I guess he told me to do something I didn't want to do. And uh, instead of arguing with him, I just said, well, okay. And he then after I said that, he asked me, do you live with your mother or do you live with your father? And I told him both. I live with both my parents. And he told me that usually... When you have a, a kid that lives with their mother, they will talk back to uh, someone in authority. And then if somebody lives, if you have a kid who lives with their father, they won't talk back. They'll just do what they need to do. See, for young men, young men need a father. And that's just guidance because a father, a father who, who, who takes up his responsibilities and does what he's supposed to do because a father is supposed to. A father is responsible for his children to provide for them, to protect them, and to be their spiritual leader. And when you have a man who does what he is supposed to do, your their sons will learn integrity and respect and adhere to authority and things like that. You know, as a father will be a son's rock, their foundation. You know, uh, because a as a young as a young boy, you're just trying to figure out what this world really is. And when you have a father who is a great father and loves God and does what he's supposed to do, that is so much easier for a young boy to become a man. And my father taught me how to be a man. You know, because not not everyone has a father that teaches them how to be a man, and I am so thankful for that. And then for young girls. I'm not a girl, so all I can do is um, talk about this from what I've seen. What I've seen when when young women have uh, when young women and girls have fathers, the father is kind of like. And keep in mind, I'm speaking from from what I've seen. The father is pretty much a daughter's first love, you know. So. Because a lot of times women are out here and just people are, people are in general, but a lot of women are just like, you know, searching for love, you know, like that song searching for love in all the wrong places. And when you have a father who tells the daughter that she's beautiful, he loves her and things like that. She's not going out and looking for the love and affirmation from random men. She will find a husband and be with her husband and then you know find the affirmation from her husband the love from her husband and that starts when you have a great father because a great father is 
is an example of what a great husband can be. So a great father can show his son how to be a great husband and a great father can show his daughter what a great husband is. Because when I was growing up, you know, my parents have been married for about 41 years now. My parents got married in 1980. I'm so blessed. Um, I tell you, when I talk about my parents, um, them being married for 41 years is that is one of the prides of my life. Um, it's like I have a picture of my parents. And, um, there's a picture of them on their wedding day and it's a, it's a beautiful picture. They look, they're, they're, they look amazing and they still do. They're still beautiful. And, uh, I see that picture and I, and I look at that picture. I say, that's my pride and my joy right there. My mother and father, it's my pride and my joy. So, uh, there's that. I could go on about my parents, um, all day, but yeah, being married for 41 years, that's, that's one of the things I like to, when people brag about themselves, I, I always brag about my parents have been married for 41 years because it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I hope that one day God blesses me and I can be married for 41 or something, some odd years or something like that. So I'm gonna go ahead and jump into some statistics about fatherhood and fatherless homes and things like that. And we're also going to talk about some welfare here because welfare had a big part to play in that. So I have a chart here from moderngentleman.com and it gives us a couple of uh, statistics about uh, United States children who come from fatherless homes. So the chart starts off like this. The chart says that 90, 90, 90% of all runaways, like runaway children are from fatherless homes. 80% of children from fatherless, from fatherless, fatherless homes, excuse me, have behavioral, behavioral, Disorders. I can't talk today. 72%. Well, it's probably about 75 now. So about three-fourths of black children come from fatherless homes. And 71% of teenage pregnancies are the result of fatherless homes. So fathers are, 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 are extremely are a lot more important than the media wants to believe or the media wants to make you believe and i know some people some people a lot of people out there don't have great mothers or fathers okay and then because we're talking about fathers today a lot of people will say well my father did this my father did that oh he did this to me he did that to me i understand okay because none of our fathers are perfect no none of our mothers are perfect either none of our parents are perfect and this doesn't just apply to fathers but this is something i say a lot when I'm giving advice to people. I tell them that when you are growing up, you know, when you're a little kid, your parents do things, your parents are doing the best they can. You know, they're doing their thing. You know, they're trying to raise you and do right and all that. Your parents, but your parents are human. So your parents are going to make mistakes and your parents are going to do some things to you that you don't like and you are going to be hurt. That is just the reality of it. And I, I can speak from personal experience, but... The thing is that you have to forgive your parents. One of the greatest steps in personal development and maturity is to forgive your parents for what they did to you, okay? They most likely were not trying to do those things to you, but they were doing their best and they have a lot of things on their plate and things like that. You know, as young adults, we are starting to understand 
or as a young adult, I, you know, people my age, we're starting to understand all the things that you have on your plate at one time. And then you have children on top of all the things you have to do and all the things you want to do. And, you know, you have to go to work and all these things. Your parents did the best they can, but you have to forgive your parents for what they did to you. Okay. Because, and this doesn't just go for your parents. This goes for all your, your friends, family, and everything that this goes, this is just in life. This is a thing for life. If somebody does something to you or says something to you that you don't like and it makes you angry, it could be a friend or family, it could be a random person on the street. You have to let that go because is it going to matter a year from now? No, most likely not. Is it going to matter a month from now? No, it's going to matter. It's going to matter in 20 minutes. No. It's going to matter in 10 minutes. No, it's not going to matter. Like I've said this before on the podcast, if I go into the mall and I just scream like, ah, I just scream right in the middle of the mall. People are going to laugh at me and think I'm a crazy guy. I'm, I am a little bit crazy if you haven't noticed, but people are going to laugh and just probably tell their friends, this guy just like was screaming in the mall. Just one time he just let it out a big shout, but is it going to matter the next day? No, because people are all going on about their lives and things like that. So those are things you got to realize. Those are some uh, advice. That's some advice for life here. So I have uh, some an article here from the moderngentleman.net. It says that 20 statistics on fatherless homes and the importance of dads. Okay, it says that there are 1.8 million solo dads in the United States. I'm thinking that dads that don't live with their children. Now it says statistics on absent fathers show that 7 million American dads were absent from the life of their minor children. It says divorces are one of the leading causes of fatherless homes. And I looked up the statistics on divorce and it says that most of the time, about 75, 60, 70, 80% of the time, women are the one, women are the ones uh, leading filing for divorce. Not, I'm not, you know, that's just not, that's not here or there, but that's just some facts I wanted to give you. It says, when it comes to the importance of fathers, statistics can help determine how children see school and education. Father absence statistics show that adolescent women from fatherless homes have a higher chance of getting pregnant. According to statistics of fatherless homes, 17.4 million children lived in fatherless homes. Fatherlessness stats may be linked to higher rates of suicide in high school students. Children from single-parent homes participate in more government nutrition, education, and programs like that. Fatherlessness may be linked to lower educational level levels of African-American girls. According to the Department of Justice, statistics on parents in prison show that the number of incarcerated fathers in the United States grew significantly from the period of 1991 to 2007. Now, here's some 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 absentee father statistics to keep in mind. As of 2019, a quarter of the 121 million men living in the United States are biological fathers to at least one kid who is under the age of 18. About four to five, uh, excuse me, about four out of five of those fathers live with at least some of those underage children, while around three quarters live with all of their children. That still leaves many children in fatherless homes as statistics prove. Now it says that 20% 
of uh, the men of the 7 million American fathers that are absent from their minor children's lives. It says that these men aren't even partaking in the lives of their biological children. So there's that. So it says there are health risks and consequences in fatherless children. Fatherless statistics show that fatherlessness is linked to increased risk of infant mortality. Father absence statistics show that adolescent women from fatherless homes have a higher chance of getting pregnant, like I said before. Now, you have some studies that suggest that 70% of inmates did not grow up with both parents in the same home in the United States. It says that getting the exact data data is, uh, is kind of difficult because the Bureau of Justice doesn't track the inmates' family backgrounds. But a 1994 study found that 13% of juveniles in Wisconsin grew up with married parents. So only 13% had married parents and went to prison. So there's that. Now I have something else here that says the median income for a household with a single mother is $35,000. The median income for a home with a married couple raising their children is $85,000 in the United States. Two-thirds of low-income working families with children are in the African-American community. See, you have all these statistics, right, about things going wrong that with people who don't have fathers. The majority of people who don't have married fathers in the home that those are those are the stats for those things. And so because of these statistics, and I can see it in my own community because I'm black too, I am sick and tired of black folks going around here saying, oh, the white folks are keeping us down. We can't get ahead because of the white folks. Our biggest problem is white supremacy. The biggest problem in America and especially the black community is the lack of fathers. That's the biggest problem. Okay? Because these kids have nobody to tell them the truth, tell them what to do, and get in their face. Because, let's be honest, a woman can't raise a man. A woman can, a woman can raise a male child. But a man raises a man. A man makes a man. Okay? If you don't like it, I don't care. That's just the truth. That's just facts. So I have an article here by the folks at the Heritage uh, the Heritage Foundation. I'm actually a part of the Heritage Foundation myself. So these are my folks here talking about this stuff. So they have an article here. It's from November 17th, 2014, and it still applies today. It talks about uh, how welfare undermines marriage and what to do about it. Now, we all know that the welfare was passed in the 1960s on the war on poverty and things like that. But before I read this article, what the welfare did... Is that it, it? Women, instead of getting married to men and having working fathers in the home, working husbands and fathers in the home, they encourage women to get married to the government. They said, "We'll give you free housing and all this stuff if you don't have a man in the home." And the more children you have, the more tax money you'll get from other people working. And then what it told men is that it told men, "You don't have to take care of your responsibility anymore. You have children, but you can just go off and do whatever you want. Have seven or eight baby mamas." It's pathetic. It's pathetic. And what you have in our society today, you know, I need you to get me. I need you to understand me correctly. I need you to understand me because somebody here is going to miss the point. Somebody's going to miss the point. Look, in our society, our society, this third wave anti-male feminism, it has told women 
Now, because the first the first wave of feminism was good, you know, the equal rights and things like that, the voting rights, boom, boom, that's fine. Now, there is nothing wrong with a woman having a career. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a good thing, actually. That's, that's a good thing. Because you make money and you can bring more money to the family. That's a good thing. But what this new wave feminism or fourth wave feminism or 27th wave feminism, what it's done is tell women to become career women and work 60 hours a week and make $100,000 a year, which is fine. If you want to do that, hey, hey, that's your own prerogative. You can do that of your own volition. That's fine. Hey, have no problem with that. But a lot of times, but a lot of the women want to get married. And so, <laughs> look, you're not ready for this, but I'm going to say it because I'm going to tell you the truth. So a lot of people want to get married. A lot of women want to get married. All right. But a lot of women aren't willing to, you know, that's just how they are. Like women, a lot of women don't want to date or marry a guy who makes less than them. That's most, most, not all, not all, not all, not all, but most. They don't want to date or marry a guy that makes less than them. You know, you have a lot of women saying, oh, I want a guy who makes $100,000 a year. He's got to be six foot two and all this mess. So when a man gets into his financial stride, he's usually, he's usually about 45 to 55 years of age. So ladies, if you want a guy who makes $100,000 a year, be married, be ready to marry a guy who's like in his 50s, right? And out of, out of the population of men who are over six feet tall, that's like 14% of the population. So 14 out of 100 guys will be over six feet tall. That's just what it is. And I'm not just saying it because I'm a short guy. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm six feet. Okay. Not that it matters. Not that it matters. So the government, this feminist has told women, oh, work 60 hours a week and make $90,000 a year. And a lot of these women want to get married and things like that. And then, at the age of 35, there's something called geriatric pregnancy. You can look that up. I'm sure you all know what that means. And the thing is that a man doesn't care how much a woman is making. When it comes to like relationships and dating and marriage, if you tell a man that you make $95,000 a year, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Okay? So, but that's a... Uh, Subject for another day. Uh, you y'all ain't ready for me to go off on that one. So I'm just gonna get into this, you know, this article here by the Heritage Foundation. My folks here it says historically, marriage has played a critical role in the raising of children. In most cases, the economic benefits of marriage are substantial. Marriage among families with children is an extremely powerful factor in promoting economic self-sufficiency. The ability of families to support themselves without uh, above poverty and without reliance on the government means tested welfare aid the reason for this is simple why it tested welfare aid now in most cases two parents working together can support a child more than efficiently more efficiently than one it says that uh 37 of single parent families lack self-sufficiency compared to seven percent of married couples so that means if you take 100 couples take yes if you take 100 couples so that means that if you take 100 married couples and 100 100 single parent families 37 out of the 100 single parent families are struggling and officially poor. Seven out of every 100 married couples will be struggling financially to support their children and the house and things like that. So you see, marriage is a great thing. It's almost kind of like that Bible had a had a good uh, thing about marriage. It's almost like that was a good thing. Hmm. 
It's almost like that Bible tells you some good stuff. Now, it says the benefits of married fathers for children. Marriage provides positive impacts well beyond self-sufficiency. The positive effects of marriage are not limited to self-sufficiency. Children raised by married parents have, have substantially better life outcomes compared to children raised in single-parent homes. When children... Excuse me. When compared with children in, in intact married homes, children raised by single parents are more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems, physically abuse, smoke, drink, and use drugs, be aggressive, engage in violent, delinquent, and criminal behavior, have poor school performance, be expelled, drop out, and most of these negative outcomes are associated with a higher poverty rate of single mothers. In many cases, uh, the improvements in child well-being that are associated with marriage persist even after adjusting for differences in family income. This indicates that the father brings more to his home than just a paycheck. He brings stability and things like that. Now, the effect of married fathers on child outcome, outcomes can be quite pronounced, quite pronounced. For example, examination of families with the same race and parental education shows that compared with intact married families, children from single parent homes are more than twice as likely to be arrested for a crime, twice as likely to be treated for emotional and behavior problems, roughly twice as likely to be suspended or expelled, and a third more likely to drop out before completing high school. Now, we have a section called the war on poverty and the decline of marriage. Throughout United States history, marriage was the norm. Prior to the 1960s, nearly all children were born to married couples. When the war on poverty began in 1964, only 7% of children were born to unmarried women. However, over the next four and a half decades, the share of non-marital birth exploded. In 2013, 41% of all children born in the United States were born outside of marriage. Incredible. Incredible. As the chart shows, there is no significant increase in the number of married couples, families with children in the United States since 1965. By contrast, the number of single-parent families with children has skyrocketed by nearly 10 million, rising from 3.3 million in 1965 to 13.2 million in 2012. Single-parent families are roughly four times more likely to lack self-sufficiency. This unraveling of the family structure has exerted a powerful downward pull against self-sufficiency and substantially boosted the official child poverty rate. When the war on poverty began, in uh, 36% of poor families with children were headed by single parents. Today, that figure is 68%. Incredible. It's no accident that the collapse of marriage in America largely began with the war on, po on poverty and the proliferation of means-tested welfare programs that it fostered. When the war on poverty began, only a single welfare, welfare program, Aid to Families and with Dependent Children, AFDC, assisted single parents. Today, dozens of programs provide benefits to families with children, including earned income tax credit, temporary assistance for needy families, women, infants, and children, food program, supplemental security income, food stamps, child nutri nutrition programs, public housing, and Section 8 housing, and Medicaid. Although married couples with children can also receive these benefits, the overwhelming majority of assistance to families with children goes to single-parent households. Now, if the government is offering to give you money to not get married and give you housing, free housing, free you know, food stamps, things like that, a lot of people are going to take it. That's how it is. Just like think about our stimulus checks today. The government is giving people money to stay home. So some people, not all, not all, not all, not all. Some people are saying, hey, I make more money on unemployment, so I might as well just stay home. That's what it is. 
If the government can make you can incentivize not getting married, they can control you more because they're giving you food stamps and things like that. Okay, and like, how did this happen? It's because you had some Soviets who influenced in the 19 during the Cold War, like the 1950s. You had some Soviets who came over to the United States from the Soviet Union. They were professors, and they infiltrated the school system, and then Hollywood and TV and media and things like that. And then they promoted anti-family, anti-marriage propaganda and things like that. Now you always wonder, why do you see today, you see music that slanders women and they dance to it and enjoy it. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. You see in Hollywood, media and TV, it's all this men being promiscuous, just just everybody being promiscuous in general. Everything is so sexualized now. It's because it was the trick of the soap. Because America could not be destroyed from in a military contest. So they needed to infiltrate from within. So what they did was infiltrate our school system. Infiltrate Hollywood, media, TV, all these things to sexualize. It's mostly sexualization. To sexualize things in order to promote an anti-family agenda. Think about it. I talk about my series when AI first met you. And in that series, I talk about the effects of AI on people and how, and I talk about how when you, when you, when you look at something, even the words I'm saying to you right now, it has, I am transmitting to you biomatter and this, and what I'm saying to you and all the things you see, everything you see affects your biomatter. Okay. And the things you see, it affects you subconsciously. It's like putting a virus into a computer slowly over time. Like they give you, it's like the sexualized images. They give you more and more and more. And they, you're so, just like in today's society, we're so inundated with it that we are desensitized from it. And it's normal. Like Cardi B and Meg The Stallion at the, whatever, I don't know, the Grammys or whatever. It was, that was absolutely licentious. Okay. And the thing is that you have rap music and things like that. And then you have things like that promoting anti-family messages. Men in rap music talking about the promiscuity and things like that. And so what you have in a lot of cases is that a lot of I've read this. I've, I've read this in, in, in books and things like that. There have been interviews with women. I've read that because of how our media and our culture is right now and structured and everything like that with the sexualization, the uh, licentiousness of that and everything like that. What you have is that say you have a woman who goes to a party and she's with a girl there with her girlfriends and things like that. And, you know, but then you're playing the music, the rap music and things like that. And then the drugs and alcohol, uh, along with other things. And so what you'll have, what you'll have is like a lot of times you'll have, these uh, sexual encounters. Then after the sexual encounters, the women were interviewed about their experiences. And they felt like when they were interviewed, the interviewer was asking them, do you feel like men were programmed to do all these things and treat you like this way? And do you feel like you were programmed to accept it? And they said, yes, they felt that way. And they did interviews with men who slept with tons of women. And they asked the man, they asked the men, do you feel like because of society that there was something like prompting you to do it with all the music and what you see in movies like like James Bond 
and rap music, just rock music, all types of music and things like that. It has these things have a subconscious effect on your mind and they promote an anti-family message. These are tools of the devil. Okay? But you ain't ready. You ain't ready for all that. Okay? But uh yeah, running them out on about 32 minutes. Um so thank you so much. Uh happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um I love you folks so much. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful to be alive. And I'm thankful that the ultimate father sent his son. So thank you so much again. And uh, I can't wait till you hear this because I'm, I'm actually recording this about a month before uh, a month before Father's Day. So thank you so much again. And uh, I love you. And uh, I'll see you.